Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and today's episode is with Zanetta Sykes on creative process, making your art, and healing with sound. Zanetta uses they-them pronouns, and they are a queer sound ritualist, listening and a listening educator, tarot reader, and host of the new Art Witch podcast. I loved this conversation with Zanetta, someone I've been connected to on Instagram for quite a while, so it was really fun to sit down and have a conversation about some of my favorite things and hear their perspectives. It was really beautiful. I've been thinking a lot about how creativity, I think, has really saved me this year my mental health my emotional health i think has really been supported by creative practice you know writing the religious trauma workbook writing tons of poetry coloring and doing watercolors and moving and dancing creatively and intuitively um, cooking creatively in the kitchen there have been so many ways that i have engaged and continue to be in relationship with my creativity oh and ritual is also a big creative practice for me um and i yeah i really think they have saved me and supported me in massive ways this year and i'm really grateful i hope this episode inspires you to connect to your creativity i hope it inspires you to make your art We want that for you. We want that for all of us. Um, In this episode, we talk about their journey of healing with sound, healing through grief with art, community, how they're healing through community, especially as a multiracial person, belonging, creating the medicine that you need, Zanetta's creative process and what it feels like to birth creative projects in the world, deepening confidence in their work, sharing creative work with the world, how making their art has shifted everything for them, integration through dream space, listening in the dream space, and connection to sound in dreaming. So you can probably tell through some of these episodes that I've shared and by the questions I've asked, I think I've asked a lot of people this year about dreaming and about the things that I've shared, the snippets around dreaming, that dream work and dream tending is huge practice for me this year and right now and how much I love dream tending work. Um, So I think I'm going to do a full episode next year about my dream practice and ways that I work with dreams, going really in depth with that. And I'm also definitely going to be interviewing some more dream workers, um, dream tending facilitators, so we can yeah, connect more on that topic through this show. Okay, so I have one thing to share with you before we get into the interview. Something I'm very excited about, something I have been telling you about for months is here. You can probably hear the huge smile on my face right now. Um, But the Religious Trauma Workbook is live. It's available for purchase. It's done. It's ready. It's beautifully designed by an amazing graphic designer. Um, It's 110 pages (laughs) and it's full of 
personal reflections and prompts and meditations and rituals and somatic exercises to really support you in healing your religious trauma. There are storytelling and body-based exercises to help you wade through the deep and complex waters of what it really means to survive and thrive and find you after religion. Um, So I'm just going to share a little bit about what's actually in the workbook and what you get. I'm so excited. I think it's my favorite thing that I have ever made. I'm really proud of it. Um, And I also just want to offer a couple of things. I think when we are buying things, we can sometimes really fall into the trap of like, this is going to be the thing that will fix me. And I think that's not always our fault. Like a lot of times marketing supports that as well and wants to make you think that. So I think I just want to make it really clear in sharing this workbook with you that it's not going to fix you. (laughs) You're not going to buy the workbook and be totally healed and never struggle with any of this again. That's not what it's for. I think it's a really powerful support in your journey of healing religious trauma. I think it can open up a lot for you. I think it can support you in a lot of ways. I think it can help you unpack a lot, move some energy through your body where you might be holding it. Of course, if you actually do it and work through it. Um, But it's not going to fix you and it's not going to save you. And that just feels really important to name. It's a support. I want it to help, and I think that it can. But healing is complex and nuanced and layered and takes a lot of time. So I just want to offer that to you. And with that, I'll share a little bit about what the workbook is intended to help you with. So learning to access a sense of safety in your body, grieving and processing your experiences with religion, inviting back in parts of yourself that religion made you sacrifice, unlearning strategies you use to avoid punishments like going to hell and gaining rewards like God's love, family love, those kinds of things, deprogramming from hierarchical power structures and deepening self-trust, unpacking programmed values and beliefs so you can find your own values and beliefs outside of religion, healing around judgment and superiority, healing around binary thinking, getting more comfortable with uncertainty, reclaiming your body as your own so you can find more safety in your body and access more pleasure and healthy sexuality, finding compassion for yourself and deepening your sense of worthiness so you can yeah, be more of who you are and feel good about that. And reclaiming spiritual connection if you want to, right? You don't have to, um, but reclaiming spiritual connection outside of dogmatic belief systems. And this week, when you order the workbook by this Friday, the 18th, you'll also receive three free audio recorded practices to support the workbook content, which are breathwork for self-trust, an embodied pleasure meditation, and an inner child healing meditation. So yeah, it's really intended to support you in healing religious trauma so you can heal and shed old shame-based religious programming and embody more of your authentic self in your life. 
without the fear of going to hell. <laughs> so you'll work through somatic exercises and journaling prompts and meditations and rituals and all of the things to help you get clarity and process and move energy somatically. So that's all I'm gonna say about that for now. The link is in the description if you wanna check it out or buy it for a friend or share it with someone in your life who you think could be supported by it. Um, my vision is for it to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people. So yeah, feel free to, to share it around with people in your life. Okay, let's get into this interview with Zanetta. So you know I always like to start the show by hearing a little bit about your journey. So I'd love to hear anything that you want to share about what's brought you to this moment, to your practice with sound and tarot, nature, all those things. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess I should start by maybe just like saying that I've been kind of connected, I guess probably karmically connected for like a very long time with sound. Um, I started playing drums when I was around three years old and my dad was a drummer and it was just really a part of the way that like we lived our lives together and it was in kind of everything. Uh, every night we would listen to music and we would drum along to TV shows and we would play in the park. Like we would take a drum to the park and just hang out. And I just felt like drums were, <laughs> they were kind of like the answer to everything. Like I remember one time when I was a kid, I got into this like kind of this conflict with a kid in the neighborhood and there were all these kids who like came to my doorstep and they were like stepping up to me <laughs> and they were like, Oh, you want to fight so-and-so. And I was like, no, I don't fight anyone. And I brought a drum out and I basically started drumming at them. <laughs> and oh I was God. like, music soothes the savage beast. <laughs> and so I guess like from an early age, I identified that sound was, um, was powerful and was important looking back I totally see like my inner nerd like coming out so deeply in that story but also I thought you were gonna say that you were like no let's have a drum battle <laughs> okay well now I would probably say that <laughs> I know <laughs> but I was it was like my way of like trying to like uh de-escalate basically the situation where all these kids were like coming up to me and I just have in various ways kind of spent a lot of time um kind of just drumming as like a lifestyle and less as like uh I guess a, a performance I definitely have performed a ton but it's it's more like it's just been kind of interwoven in, in what I do. So now <laughs> bringing me kind of to this place in this space, um, I do a lot of like sound ritual and I ended up kind of taking that drumming thread, that, that connection to drumming. And I eventually ended up in uh, music school. It was very hard to get to that point. I actually had quit drums for a while because I had experienced so much bullying in school as a result of just being kind of like, you know, a female presenting, you know, individual playing drums. And I was kind of like on my own in that kind of energy. 
and it was intense. And so I actually quit around middle school and started back up in college. And I wasn't supposed to study music. Like I was going to go kind of the science route. And uh, my mom's a chemist, my dad's a drummer. So I kind of had this really strong connection to both science and music. And I kind of, I was hanging around some people and they had been going to music school and I kind of realized like, I want to do what they're doing. Like I want to play music and I hadn't played drums in a while, like years. And it was really, really like starting over again, just from scratch, like how to hold a pair of drumsticks. Um, That was like age 19. And so I'm 35 now. And it was this, huge kind of, I guess, rebirth of sorts. I had to kind of just learn how to read notes and learn how to like set up my drums and tune my drums and just all those kinds of things. And I ended up after about a year and a half, like of really rigorous practice, applying for music school and getting in. And so it was this really triumphant moment for me. Um, But it was also really disorienting because most of the people I had been in school with had been playing for their entire lives, like straight through. It was a real conservatory environment and there was just not a lot of space for nuance and difference of um, access, difference of like, you know, how people come to the instrument and what they what they kind of connect with, what are their sacred values in doing this work? It was more like, you're a classical musician and you need to like show up and be the best you can be at all times in any capacity, no matter what is happening to you. And that theme would kind of run really deep throughout music school because about the first year, the end of the first year of music school, my dad passed away. And it was very, very fast and pretty, pretty intense how that unfolded. And through the course of that, I ended up being diagnosed with PTSD. So I came out of this process of transition with my dad's kind of life and his passing. And I came out of it like a really obviously changed person. This was the person who give, um, who gifted me drumming, um, really was like my strongest chord to music in this lifetime. And it was like, I mean, really the earth kind of fell beneath me in many ways. And experiencing PTSD was just so incredibly disorienting, especially as someone who has such a deep connection to music and sound, to have like sound triggers and to kind of experience such um, displacement through listening. So in that year and a half or so, right after my dad had passed, I started to get into field recording my, I guess my connection to sound was just so compromised that I was kind of at my wits end. I was like, what can I do about this situation? Um, You know, like I play drums, like that's like my 
that's like what I want to do for my life. Like if I have trouble, like hearing like different sounds and stuff like that, how am I going to continue on this path? So I started to kind of tap into like some intuitive healing on myself. I mean, that's the best way I can kind of put it, but I started kind of asking, how can I help myself? How can I help myself heal in this moment? What, what am I needing? And I started getting really into field recording, um, just recording sounds out in nature, um, outside of a studio environment and recording kind of sounds of everyday kind of places and time and location. And that was, that is, that is like the, the real key. Like, you know, it's, it's the real key moment for me when I started doing that work, because it started shifting the way that I experienced the world and the way that I heard things. And it, I mean, I think like maybe even on a molecular level, it probably just started shifting my, I mean, obviously my neuroplasticity, but like my, the way that my body, um, my body's memories, the memory that you hold in your body with the associations of certain sounds, it was all just kind of starting to change. And it took a long time. It wasn't like I, I made a couple recordings and then suddenly I was like <laughs> changed person. I'm changed. <laughs> but I think it gave me a lot of honestly control. Like one of the hardest things about um, living with PTSD is that aspect of feeling so out of control and so like hijacked. Um, like you don't have, uh, you don't have control over any of this experience. And field recording is like, you're deciding what is important to you and you're recording it. And so in a sense, I was starting to connect to one, things that were really important to me and moments that felt really significant. So that was like an, a kind of establishing a connection to my intuition. And then also I was starting to hold space for aspects of myself that um, really weren't being heard through this process, like parts of myself that were really suffering. Um, I think that like living with grief in our society, uh, it just, there's a lot of compartmentalization that can happen and a lot of isolation that can occur. And when I was in that process of recording and really following those intuitive threads of, of what sounds like important to me and what I feel like I need to capture in this moment, it was almost like the part of me that was really deeply grieving and like needed, needed space was being heard through the process of recording. So that kind of led me to record like basically every moment that I felt deeply connected to my dad through the sounds in the environment. So it was a very spiritual process for me. Like at that point, I wasn't practicing witchcraft. At that point, I wasn't reading tarot, but I had always felt an, an otherness and a sense of connection to 
um, ancestors, like even from a very young age, I always felt a deep connection to people who had passed. And I just kind of followed that. I was, I would record, stop whatever I was doing and record wherever I was. And I collected about maybe a decade's worth of recordings around, um, around the, the feeling of being very connected to spirit and connected to my dad. And I took those recordings and created a kind of an ancestral, an ancestral ceremony of sorts where I kind of shared my experiences with living with grief and created these kind of soundscapes that weaved in those recordings and then invited people to share their experiences with grief with people who had never grieved before. Because I felt that sense of isolation so deeply and I just started kind of thinking, what can I, how can I bridge that gap? <laughs> I don't know. It's something about it was, was very, um, there was a spark there, kind of a fizziness that was like, I need to explore this. It's definitely that creative fire whispering to me. And I had this idea to kind of create this ceremony where um, people who are actively grieving and who are not grieving come together and share ex like share perspectives on grief through the process of listening to these soundscapes mm -hmm. and storytelling essentially. And that night just kind of changed me forever because I saw I saw art as not a thing to be consumed, but a thing that we create together, like by the process of coming together, being open and like co-creating time and space where healing can exist. It, it just kind of like, it, it totally changed everything that I had ever thought about artwork. You know, I'd always been taught you have to like play this music and you have to perform and someone's going to buy your album and, and maybe you're going to teach at a school or something. And a very one-sided glass experience of how people are connecting with this work. But I realized that moment in that night, I was like, that's not why I'm here. Like, that's not why I'm here on this planet at all. I'm here to connect. And I'm here to like, be in, in this kind of flowing, interconnected, and very cognizant of that interconnection, very open about that um, work. So since then, all of my artwork has been in that direction. Kind of everything that I create is along the lines of some kind of like healing, connective art experience. Um, so that's kind of how I got to this point. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I feel like there's so much medicine in everything that you just shared. Um, what you said about creating that grief ceremony 
um, really struck me and it's making me want to ask you about something we talked about briefly before we started recording is community. Um, so I guess I'm just curious to hear about your connection to community, about healing through community, how you're being um, nourished in community right now. I, I guess I, a while back I had a reading with, um, Sarah Faith Goddess Steiner, the yeah. one and only. <laughs> and in that reading, what came out was um, just kind of like the real, the real heart stuff, the stuff that you're like really here for was the Ten of Cups. <laughs> and in that reading, I was like, oh yeah, like it's, it was an unspoken thing that I kind of knew all along, but had never uh, acknowledged verbally or like really had just kind of uh, consciously accepted about myself that like it above all it's always about community for me and so it's been I guess it's been really healing to make this artwork for other people and kind of like uh kind of exchange with other folks and kind of start to build this flow that isn't just like kind of pushing stuff out into the world, but actually kind of like, I feel myself shifting and changing as a result of just even being in space with folks. And that can be virtual space or sonic space or whatever. But I... I grew up kind of like in a family where we were fairly isolated. My parents didn't have a lot of friends. And I also grew up kind of like as a multiracial person, not kind of, I am a multiracial person. And one of the things that was always challenging was being kind of like visually identified as part of the um streams of kind of identities that I supposedly hold. Um, like often my mom is, um, is a uh, Filipino and often I would kind of go to like gatherings and spaces and places and like people would never know that I was Filipino at all. And, and it still happens to me quite a bit. And so the sense of community that I think that people can easily get just by like being like, I'm with my people, <laughs> you know, was something that I just didn't feel like I could access very easily. And it also seemed really contingent upon the context that I was in and how people were perceiving me from the outside. And so I guess on some level, like I have really been dedicated to creating my own sense of community from the inside out rather than the outside in. Um, and kind of, you know, like finding ways to connect that aren't purely based on like visual identify, like visual identity um, that aren't based off of just, um, how you're perceived, but how, you know, how, what you really believe and, and, and kind of going from that heart space. So 
that's a little bit about my take on community. (laughs) I mean, it feels like we can't talk about community without talking about belonging and we can't talk about belonging without talking about not belonging. And I think we all experience this and you're speaking to some of this too, right? Like that pain of not feeling belonging and wanting it. And I've written a bit about this, but I think about all of the like, harmful strategies that I've used to try and belong when it wasn't there because I wanted to so deeply right and it it hurts to reflect on those things and it hurts to feel that lack of belonging it's like so human this want to be in connection and this want to to be in community with each other so I really appreciate you sharing that and even what you were sharing about the drums and not playing the drums in middle school and high school coming back to it I've had a similar experience with playing music I used to play the flute um, until mid high school and I stopped because I wanted to belong I was seeking belonging and that was not getting me belonging that made me feel like an outsider um And this year, actually, I returned to playing the flute. I started playing again. And it's kind of that experience of what you said. It's like, oh, even this thing that I used to belong with, it's like, it's kind of a foreign object to me now. It's like, oh, how do I do this again? Like, how do my fingers go again? It used to feel like part of me and it doesn't anymore. Um, So that's been really interesting too. And I don't know, I guess I'm like, what's the question here? There's something here around like being seen in community and like showing up as ourselves in community and like finding belonging through, I don't know, through who we actually are and not, um, yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's, um, you know, one of the things that kind of came out of that reading was like in order to find that sense of connection and that finding that sense of belonging, you're gonna have to really show up and like really show up like and stand pretty clearly in your truth and like who you are, because that is kind of the magnetizing force that draws folks who are going to love you and who are going to support you and who you're going to find that sense of authentic connection with those. That is how you're going to create that connection. It's not going to happen by seeking purely like and saying, okay, like this, I'm going to go to this thing. Cause I think like, this is my thing. Um, I think for folks who maybe experience liminal identity and multi-identity, like pretty, pretty consciously, like we don't have a lot of examples of what it looks like for folks like us to kind of find that sense of community by just purely seeking it. Um, that's one of the, the largest things that I hear about with multiracial folks is the struggle to find, um, find other multi-folks to be in community with and how isolated we can become. And instead it's like, if you were looking purely at your environment and examples that you've seen, so this is a really mental process, right? If you're just looking around and trying to see where you can kind of connect and who you can be friends with or something of that nature, you're going off of what has been shown to you, consensus reality, Mm. essentially. And the magic that really occurs is when you are imagining and tapping into that magic and kind of connecting with the creative intuitive force that 
causes you to kind of take actions that are inspired and then end up kind of like organically drawing those folks in and and kind of connecting in that way like you're not going to see what you're looking for because it hasn't actually been done yet Mm -hmm. um and that feels like such a really big part of like that belonging piece at least for me it's like I I needed to create the things that were going to give me the medicine I needed, which is what I think art is ultimately, is a a natural process of us creating our own medicine. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. And I feel like that's what you've been speaking to this whole time, like creating the medicine that you need and and art not just being something that you consume, right? But something that you co-create and create for healing, which which feels so beautiful. And I think I would just love to hear a bit more if you wanna share about your creative process, about what it feels like for you to, to birth something creative in the world. And I know that you are doing that literally today as well with a new <laughs> podcast called Artwood. So if you wanna share about that process too, like I, I would love to hear. Yeah, um, I guess like my creative process, it it's still really, I think, solidifying in some ways. It hasn't been a ton of time since I've been creating my own work under my own name. Um, but what I can say about the process is that a lot of it has been very spiritual in nature. Um, I kind of begin every single session before I create anything with just meditating. And I, for the sacred seasons project that I've been doing for like the last, I don't know, since June, that project, which is all about connecting to nature through listening and especially for urban communities, that project was mostly channeled. um, And so I really had to kind of get into a really specific space with myself and kind of clear the slate every time I I stepped into that zone and I was going to work on that project I I had a special spell candle like mm-hmm. that I made and I had a special like meditation that I did and and then I had one tarot deck that I've only used for that project like I went there I went there really hard um but it's you know, I mean, I guess that's like something that's kind of happens when you make kind of, I guess, spiritual art. I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> I don't love that term because it's so wrapped up in like um, the church and just like the long history of the patriarchy and the church and all that stuff. So just set that aside <laughs> while I'm talking about this, but for me, it's like, it's, it's a creative magical process for sure. And so I do a lot of spells and a lot of, um, just kind of energy work and a lot of trance, so much trance to kind of come, come, uh, in connection with like that creative force and see what comes out of it. I guess like the the biggest thing in my creative process is that uh, is to just be a clear channel. Uh, like every time I step into that work, like there's 
there's no past, there's no future, there's only like this moment. And I have no attachment whatsoever to what comes out of that experience. And it's like free falling, like you really just allow yourself to jump off into the abyss. And that used to scare the shit out of me, honestly. For a long time, I think it really scared the shit out of me because it's you get into this space where you think like you're producing a thing, an outcome or a thing that's supposed to happen or that's supposed to be a certain way for people. And that just has, that has, that's the killer of creativity for me right away. It's like when I, I can feel when I'm getting into that space, but um, I try to really work a lot on being a clear channel. And that takes a lot of um, dedication. Like I meditate every single morning and I meditate before every single performance and every single reading and every single spell everything that I do like before I do anything that like matters to me (laughs) you know like binge watching Lucifer is not (laughs) is not for me is not like my highest and best moment all the time but it kind of (laughs) is but but it's not a moment where I'm gonna like meditate before but I but anytime I do kind of um any kind of creative or magical work. I definitely meditate. That's kind of my go-to. And with this podcast that I'm creating, <laughs> yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there. <laughs> um, it's It's been kind of interesting because it's flowed so fast compared to other things that I've created. I've been kind of in awe, like, what is this? And my therapist called it, she's like, that's confidence. (laughs) I laughed so hard. I was like, oh my God, you're so sassy and you're so amazing. But yes, (laughs) I guess it is confidence, but it it did feel like just a different rate of flow and information that was going through me. And that's kind of also the cool thing about when I've meditated and and I really noticed like how energy is flowing through me and how messages are coming through, how fast that rate of speed and stuff like that kind of gives me some extra information about where I'm at in the moment with all this work. And so with the podcast, it just kind of was like, I was surprised how fast the music was written, how fast I was able to write the music, how fast I just kind of like connected to people and invited them to, you know, step into this work with me um, or to make the art or things like that. Stuff that I think I would have in maybe in my younger years been really, really belabored by, you know, just kind of, okay. And so maybe it is a degree of confidence and maybe it's also just the way that the project is being called to, um, to come into existence. Cause I really think like each project is not really, I mean, I know that my name is on these projects, but it's definitely a collaboration with everything that I'm in connection with, which is everything. And <laughs> I think that, you know, the, projects have a life of their own they have a uh, a consciousness of their own that's saying i need to be brought into the world this way or can you like 
can you release this on the new moon or can you do this or that? So I listen very deeply to what the projects tell me to do. And I have a really intense relationship with my guides around my work. Mm. Um, I work with, I guess I work with like a couple really, really key figures. Um, one is this tree spirit that I connect with in Prospect Park in Brooklyn that I've been working with for the last, I don't know, three or four years. And another is um, a couple deities, a couple like deities that I really have connected with through dreams and never had a connection with them before, but they really called me to do very specific work. And I just followed that and trusted that. And so I think now my creative process is a lot about stepping out of the way for stuff to just come through and to just show the fuck up. Honestly, like instead of trying to figure out if I'm the right person to do it or if, you know, um, or if I have the skills or if I have the know-how or the access to resources or the time, I just, I set that aside because I know it's not true. I know those concerns are very valid, but they're just not true as Lindsay Mack might put it. <laughs> and, um, and instead I just show up. Like I just, it's like a date. You're like, okay, you won't know until you go out there, <laughs> get on that horse, Zanetta. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're kind of talking about this already, but I guess I'm wondering if there's anything else you want to share about these kinds of fears and beliefs that can come up or maybe that come up for you when it comes to sharing something creative and putting it out there with your name on it for other oh people God. to engage with. <laughs> oh my gosh, Erin. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I'm asking. This could I be know. a series. <laughs> this could be a very long series. <laughs> Um, well, I had mentioned earlier that I really, I've been making my own art under my own name for maybe around, I don't know, maybe the last five or six years or something. And only in the last like three, like going really, really heavy into it. And a lot of what I've experienced around fears and anxiety and just the, the limitations of the mind have been a lot of colonial mindsets, honestly, like um, just programming that has kind of like been inherited or that I've learned that has kind of framed what art should be, what an artist mm. should look like or should be or how they should make art or the kind of art that they should be making. And that really, that really tied me up for like a good a good portion of my life. Um, and I started really doing a lot of like decolonization work around my art and a lot of dismantling and a lot of energy work and journeying to kind of shift those beliefs and shift those um, inherited mindsets. And they were things like, you know, uh, that idea is stupid. And like, that's not, I've never seen anyone do anything like that before. Like no one's going to care about that or um, things like, 
you you have to have x amount of training like this is academic imperialism at its finest which is a colonial tool like you're you have to be you have to be trained at a certain level to do this otherwise like you're not going to make x quality of work like so that there's such a deep like a deep kind of shackling essentially to like if you're not fulfilling these certain standards or adhering to these certain rules within like um you know high art or whatever then you're actually like less valid and less and you're like less able to do what you're supposed to do and that I mean I can't tell you I've done like hundreds of spells around this shit like honestly (laughs) I've created meditations for this for myself or like done like huge rituals around just breaking that stuff and just saying no like that's not true and and also just reading a ton of books like, <laughs> like it's really important you can't you can't break that stuff without understanding how and where it comes from and why and the mechanisms that it that it's it's enacting and who it serves you know who does what power does it serve to reinforce when i don't make my art who is that serving when I feel limited and just kind of stuck in, in what I think I have to do and what I have to be, who is that really serving? Cause I know it's not serving me. (laughs) And that became kind of the, the defining, the real defining force for me in terms of shifting those, those fears and those anxieties was like, you know, I'm going to (laughs) die. That's the first thing. Eventually I will die. And how will I want to feel about this? How will I want to look back on this experience? That was a real truth teller for me. And also just recognizing that those powers are not going to be there when I am passing into the next life or going beyond this one. Like, I don't, they're not going to be holding my hand when I'm like sitting there sad that I didn't create that piece of work or that I didn't devote more time to exploring where it could have went who knows what that art is but just giving yourself the time and space to explore there's a really great Mary Oliver quote where she talks about um the most regretful people and I know I'm gonna totally botch this up but the most regretful people are the ones who felt that call to create basically and gave it neither the time nor the power to be realized and for me that was like I think that's like my number one truth in life is like I lived a life where I didn't give it that time and space and it was slowly kind of killing me from the inside out and then I felt the difference going into you know creating my own work and then seeing the world in a really different way and being like, yeah, I'm not in competition with people or yeah, like community is, is where you are and, and who you decide to connect with. Like it just shifted everything for me being, making my art. Yeah. That's making me think of this quote that you might've heard and I forget who said it, but I'll look it up and put it in the description, but that unused creativity is not benign. Um, Mm. and that feels really true 
And I really appreciate what you're saying too about thinking about death and the end of life and like what you're actually going to feel about sharing your creativity, what you're going to feel about not sharing your creativity. And I've been doing some death meditation this year for the first time. I've never really meditated on that before. And it's felt powerful. It has a way of just like putting things in perspective and clarifying what really matters. And it's like, yeah, it fucking matters that we share our art and that we work with our creativity, even if it's only ever for us. Like definitely part of it for me is giving myself full permission to create bad art in quotes because I'm like whatever art is just expression so I don't think it can really be bad just not resonant for people but um, giving myself that permission and letting it just be for me if that's all it is because sometimes it's just the process of creating it you know it doesn't have to be for anyone else and I find that really like takes the pressure off and lets me feel more free to to make something and that feels good (laughs) I think that's really important, Erin, like that part about, um, especially for the self, like the self is an aspect of collective, like that's not, that's not just like time wasted, like that's where the, the, the most potent stuff that I've created in my lifetime, at least has been from creating it for myself, like the meditation that I created a while back for myself is the meditation that people come back to me and they're like, I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. And you think you just made it for yourself, but actually what you did was you made it for like an aspect of our society that needs deep healing. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, that's not just like, that's not like separate. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is something I made for myself. Like I really didn't think anyone was ever going to listen to it. I just wanted to express myself and have conversations with people I really admired about things I wanted to talk about. And then, yeah, it turned out to be that like other people are listening and feeling helped by it. But yeah, it was something that I wanted to create for myself. Really. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I know we only have a couple minutes, but I wanted to touch back on something that you mentioned about your dreams, (laughs) because I'm just really obsessed with my dreams right now. So (laughs) I'm wondering if there's anything you want to share about your connection to your dreams or what being in relationship with your dreams is like for you. Mm. Well, I felt that my dreams are where... uh... It's actually where I see the most evolution in my life, I think. Like when I got into lucid dreaming and I started kind of, I didn't intentionally go there, but I just kind of happened upon it. <laughs> I um, I started noticing that that was when like integration was really happening for me because I was starting to make the same decisions that I would make in my consensus daily cognizant life in my dream life. Like I would bring the same core values into that space. And um, like in particular, I had one dream where I, it was very intense. I was like experiencing kind of like a scenario of like being mugged and in the dream, I spoke to the person who was trying to mug me and I basically, you know, told them, you know, 
I don't think we have to do this. Like, I was like, I just, I was like, I know we feel like we have to, but we don't. <laughs> and then we like, we're, we managed to like find a different way in that experience. And I was like, I remembered kind of waking up from that dream and feeling the significance of like my mind and my body and every part of me now knows that like, whatever I believe in is like, it's the way mm-hmm. like, it there it will always be available to me um no matter how dire a situation feels or how intense and so i felt like that was this kind of deep moment for me of integration that i never really realized could happen in a dream space and then the other thing about dreams that i've been kind of exploring and really loving is listening in the dream space like how what do you hear how do you hear like what are like what is your connection to sound in dreaming I'm not the first person to at all think of this um the first time I had heard of this was from Ione who was the partner of Pauline Oliveros who's an amazing sound educator and composer and um, INA wrote a book on like listening to dreams or something. And she like has done a lot of research in this field, but it's something that I come back to because it's super hard for me. And I almost rarely hear sounds in dreams. So it feels like an important, uh, just an important place to kind of like dig a little deeper for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I've never thought about sounds in my dreams before. I'm going to think about that tonight and see if I hear anything <laughs> in my dream later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, there's very few times that I feel like I've heard things and was like, I heard that. But yeah. I also wonder, you know, when we're experiencing speech and stuff like that or dialogue in our dreams, like, I think that just kind of almost comes in clear cognizantly. Like, it's just mm. like, you know it, but you're, you probably didn't actually hear it. <laughs> yeah, that feels really true. <laughs> I'm like remembering my dream last night. Like, what actually happened in it? Did I actually hear people talking? And I think that's true. It's like, I just know it. Kind of like how you know like you might know it's your house, even though it doesn't look anything like your house in a dream. You just know it. Yeah. So interesting. Like I could talk about dreams forever, (laughs) 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 but I won't, I will ask you the last question that I always ask on the show, (laughs) which is what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? I think, um, I think listening from the heart is what comes to mind for me like it's like listening with this sense of kind of um being available and being open and very non-judgmental about what you're experiencing and recognizing that it's kind of all part of this larger fabric of of things that are actually meant to be supporting and kind of a part of you like there's this element of listening that is often just kind of like okay here's what I hear here's what I'm experiencing you know so and so said this I feel this you know and it can kind of get into this space of being really segmented and very compartmentalized 
But I think when we listen from the heart and that kind of sense of living open is kind of like you're really, really receiving. It's it's not just like I'm receiving, but like you are expanding from this space and like kind of just like welcoming what's happening. And I try to practice that a little bit each day when I walk in the park. And I think that that for me feels like the most, the most closest thing I can think of to living openly. I love that. I'm picturing like, I don't know, like receiving life. Like that's what it feels like what you share. Thank you. Um, Can you tell everyone where they can find you, work with you, listen to your podcast, all those things? (laughs) Um, Well, as of right now, you might not be able to hear the podcast yet, but when it goes up, it will probably be on iTunes and Spotify and all that jazz. And it's called Art Witch. Um, You can connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at soundartmagic and my website's www.soundartmagic.com. And then in terms of working with me, you can check out my Patreon. I'm creating a bunch of meditations for um, just more inclusive experiences around meditation. So that's where I'm kind of building things. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I love this conversation. I can't wait to re-listen to it and like take notes on all the wonderful things you said. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Erin. Thank you for being here. If you loved this conversation with Zanetta, definitely do check out their work, their wonderful podcast, and please do tap five stars and leave a review on the platform you're listening on. It's a really helpful way to be in exchange with the show outside of financial exchange. Um, Indie podcasters need your support and we love you. I love you. Thank you for being here. I'll be back on Monday with our Capricorn season medicine of the podcast right on the winter solstice. So stay tuned for that. Stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.